You know, I like to uh, plan the work and work the plan, right? I like to have a plan. When there's a job to be done, I want to sit down and think of the steps that it's going to take to get there. I want to think of the resources, how they're going to be allocated, how they're going to be gathered. I want to think about the personnel that's needed, volunteers, staff, all that stuff. And then I'm ready to start the task. When I do that, I feel really secure. When I do that, I feel much more confident about what we're trying to accomplish. When I don't have time to do that, man, I feel messed up, right? Like I'm not ready to take on whatever's there. Now, some of you are different, right? You, uh, you're okay with, there's a project out there. Why don't we start today? Like, why should we wait until tomorrow? I can figure this out as I go. We can get the stuff we need as we go. Let's just have at it. We're all different. You're the kind of people who you can leave on a trip. You don't care where you're going. You don't care where you're going to stay tonight. Let's just go. I don't understand people like that, okay? I'm sorry. That's just not me. You know, we talk a lot about planning in our culture, and even though we are very different sometimes in the way that we plan, I think businesses and a lot of people demand people who are prepared to plan. And if you read magazines and books about leadership, they'll talk about a six-month plan, a, a year plan, a five-year plan, maybe even a 10-year plan for your organization. And all that's great until we have a global pandemic, right? And then all the stuff that we had planned, all the things that we were going to accomplish, maybe all the resources that we thought would be readily available, man, it's all just not there. And some of the things that we were going to accomplish, we were sure would happen, are not going to happen at all. Things are totally messed up. All you got to do is look at one thing that was supposed to happen last year. And that was the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, right? You got a decade worth of planning, if not more. You have billions of dollars that have been spent on stadiums and places for people to stay. You've got uh, security that's been put in place, all the trinkets that are made and the stuff that's been printed and everything's practically ready to go. And suddenly, it wasn't going to happen. Maybe it'll happen this year. We don't really even know that for sure yet. But it was all put off. All the things that had been planned and put in place, suddenly, it's not there. So what do we do with that? You know, it doesn't have to be a pandemic, right? It could be, well, I find out something about my own health, and so I'm not going to be able to do what I was planning to do. A change in the marketplace can make that happen. All sorts of things can force us to rethink our plans and and in fact, can upend our plans so that all we plan to do is simply not going to take place. So what do we as Christians do when that happens? In fact, how do we even think about planning? How do we approach planning? I want us to think about that today as we continue in this series that I'm calling Reset. You know, we, we talked last week about how well, we're starting a new year, and in some ways we'd like for the new year to be very different from the old. We'd like to put all that behind us. That lasted till about the middle of this week, and then we realized we're in for it again, right? Things are really weird. And so here we are, knowing that just changing a calendar doesn't change everything, but, but also thinking about how do I reset me? How do I create in me the right kind of character so that I can be positioned to be the person that God wants me to be and so that I can accomplish the things that God wants me to accomplish. And so today, I want us to think about 
our planning. And to get at that, I'd like us to turn to the book of James. Now, this is, we call it a letter. It feels a little bit more like a handbook written by Jesus' brother, James, an early leader in the church. It is the most practical book that we have in the New Testament, just filled with, okay, how do you live the Christian life? James answers that question in lots of different ways. And one of the things that he deals with is, how do we as Christians approach our plans for the future? And he does that in chapter 4. It picks up in verse 13. This is what James has to say. And in some ways, he really challenges our thinking about planning. He says, now listen, you who say. Now that language right here at the beginning of the verse, for anyone reading this in the ancient world, they would have known these words were not going to lead to accommodation. This was not going to be congratulations on the way that you've handled this. He's going to correct some thinking, and that's exactly what he does. So listen, you who say this, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Okay? The people who are talking are pretty sure of at least four things. They're sure when this plan is going to begin, today or tomorrow, where it's going to be this city or that, whatever city they've chosen, the duration of this plan, about a year, and what they're going to accomplish. They're going to do business and make money. They are really sure this is all just going to happen. And we read that verse and we go, what's wrong with that, right? I mean, they've, they've created a plan. They've got actions that are ready to take. We're going to leave today or tomorrow morning and we're going to go to that town and we're going to spend a year there and we're going to start up a business and we're going to make money. It sounds like capitalism at work, doesn't it? What's wrong with that? Well, James sort of lays out what's wrong with this approach. What's wrong with the way that these people have been thinking that in some ways makes sense to us. He says in verse 14, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, James is just a ray of sunshine on a happy Sunday morning, isn't he? <laughs> Listen, you're all going to die, he says. You, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to be able to get up tomorrow morning. You don't know if you're going to be well or sick. You don't know how long you're going to live. All your plans that you're just so sure, yeah, it's going to be tomorrow, it's going to be for a year, it's going to be in that city, you're going to make some money. All this stuff that you're just so sure is going to happen, guess what? It might, but it might not. Now, we don't really like to hear what he says in verse 14, because it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to hear him say, you don't know how long your life is going to be. It might be a lot more years. It might not last another day. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear James say, your life is sort of like a mist. It's there and then it's gone. Nobody even remembers it. But we also know that there have been a lot of people who've lived on the face of this earth that will never know their names because they didn't leave a lot behind. They were like a mist and then they were gone. Now James, I don't think, is trying to to convince us that somehow life is meaningless or that we don't count. I mean, James is clear about salvation, just like every other New Testament writer, that there is salvation, there is eternal life, that this life counts for something. What he's making the point is we are not in control. 
And his point is that the, the people who are talking in verse 13, man, they're sure of everything. They've got it all figured out. And he's reminding us that we don't have it all figured out. He's reminding us that we are not in control. As much as we'd like to believe it, it's easier to deal with life when we think we're in control of it. It's easier to deal with life when we think, okay, this is the work I'm going to do. This is going to be what we're going to accomplish as a family, as an individual, as a church. But James says it's fine to have plans. He never says don't plan. But just know you're not in control. You don't have it all figured out. And so we need to be careful about our assumptions. And is there a better way to think about this? And he says, yes, in fact, there is. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Part of the problem in what those folks said in verse 13 is, there was no room for God, was there? We're going to leave, we're going to stay, we're going to do, we're going to make. Well, is God involved in that at all? Well, it seems like they weren't expecting him to be too involved in that, and they weren't too concerned whether he was or not. And James is saying we need to change the way that we think. Again, James never says, don't plan any work. And in fact, if you look at Scripture as a whole, I think there are places that you could look and turn to that encourage us to plan, that encourage us to attempt to accomplish something in life. And in fact, next week, we'll take a little bit of a look at that. But, but James is saying, listen, we've got to open up our lives and make room for God. And in fact, it's, it's bigger than that. What he's saying is all those plans that we might have, all the things that we want to accomplish, we need to submit everything that we want to do to the God who is in control because we're not. We need to submit everything that we plan for the future to the only one who actually knows what the future looks like. God himself. And so our attitude should be not, I'm going to do this, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to make, I'm going to build. But if it's God's will, I'm going to do these things. Because ultimately, even though I might want to do some of this stuff over here, if it's not God's will, it's not what I want. What I want is what God wants. That's what needs to happen anyway. It's not like I'm going to overpower God. So I might as well submit myself and all my plans to the God who knows the future and is in control. And what we find are there are other biblical writers who approach life very much like what James is talking about. We see Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians in his letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but I will come to you very soon. That's his plan if the Lord is willing. If it's God's will, then I'll be there. But if not, it's a different story. We go all the way back to the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs, much like James, is filled with just everyday wisdom. This is how life works. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart. we got all kinds of plans. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's God's plan. It's God's will that really counts. So James sums all this up in verse 16. He says, as it is, 
You boast in your arrogant schemes. You see, the real problem here is arrogance. I'm in charge. I know the future. I'm in control. All such boasting is evil. And so the message for us, as we read through that passage and think about what Paul did and think about what the writer of Proverbs said, pretty simple. Not don't plan anything for the future, but this. Plan with humility. Plan knowing that we are not in full control. There are things that we'd like to accomplish, but they're all being submitted to God's will. And so all the things that we want to see happen, what's really about working with God for what he wants to happen. So our plans should be there, but we plan instead of thinking we have full control and we're going to do this, that, and the other, we're, we're planning with humility knowing that we are not in control. Three steps that I think can help us accomplish this in our life. The first is this, acknowledge your lack of control. Now, I don't like this. Because I want to be in control of what's happening. I want to be in control of my health and my finances. I want our family to be healthy. I want the church to be healthy. And and I want to see that happen. But the truth is, I can't make all of that happen. I'd like to be able to tell you right now that at the end of 2021, I'm going to be healthier than I am today. But I don't know that, do I? I don't know what sickness I may face this year. I can't. I'd like to say that I know I'm going to be alive at the end of 2020, but I don't know that. None of us do. And so the first step in this is acknowledging I am not in control. And for people who like to plan, this can be really difficult. But it's exactly what we've got to do to say, I know the one who is in control, and I might as well face the truth that it's not me. And as hard as that is, we need to own it. Now, this is true personally, it's true in our family, it's true in business, it's even true in church. You know, there are times when our church leaders, I mean, we are, try to be students of what's going on in the church world, and we listen to speakers and read books, read blogs, and all this stuff about church leadership, and a lot of it is helpful. But there's a few out there who just, it feels like what they're saying is, okay, I've accomplished this, and if you'll just do exactly what I did in your church, you'll get exactly the same results. Guess what? That's not true. Because every church is different. We're not the same people. Our church is different from every other church. And our community and the way that we relate to our community is different from every other church. And so we can learn some principles and make some plans from that. But life is not just sort of pushing the buttons and things happen according to what we want. Instead, we have to acknowledge, I'm not in control. And more important even than that, I know who is in control, and it's God. Second, seek God's guidance. When we begin a plan, when we're working the plan, we seek out God's will in it. So it's not just tomorrow, I'm going to go to this or that town, spend a year, and make money. But... What does God want me to do with this next year? What does God want me to accomplish in my life, in my family, in my job, in my church? What does God need from me? God doesn't need a lot from me, but what does he want from me? What does he want for me? What resources has God made available to me? 
What doors is God opening for me? I mean, so much of the way that we understand this is just all about prayer. It's all about seeking God's help in this and asking Him to guide us. The one who knows everything, seeking Him out in that. Now, the thing about prayer. I think it's easy for us when there's a lot of work to be done, when there's a lot of planning to be done, to say, if we're really candid about it, I've got so much to do, I'm too busy to Because it feels like, like we got to get to work. I've been guilty of this. We got to get to work. We have such limited time. We got to start the work. We at least got to start planning the work. And if we're not doing that, then it feels a little bit like we're wasting our time. But the truth is, the time spent in prayer makes so much of the work so much better. Because if we're asking God to guide us, if we're asking God to lead us, if we're asking God to provide what we need, if we're asking God to involve the right people, that's the right work to be doing. The problem comes when we say, this is my schedule, this is what I'm going to accomplish, I hope God comes along for the ride, but I don't really have time to talk to him about it right now. We need to seek God's guidance. I know a lot of Christians... A lot of people who've been doing this a while will read this passage in James and they sort of add on a phrase when they start planning stuff like, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. And that just becomes almost, a, well, I'll tack it on to sound like I'm actually wanting God to do something, sound sort of spiritual, sound religious. And many people do it well-meaning. I'm not condemning the use of that, but I'm saying there are times when I think we just throw it out there. And what James is really saying is, from beginning to end, not just in that little side comment, but from beginning to end, submit your plans to God. If it's God's will, I want to go to this or that town in God's time, and I'm going to try to do some business, and I hope God will bless that. But if it's not God's will... I don't want to do it. And that leads us to the third thing. Be open to changing the plan. Now, once I've set a plan in motion, the last thing that I want to do is change the plan. Okay? I do not want to have to step back and say, okay, things are different than we expect them to be. There's some dynamics we didn't know were coming. The setting has changed. We're going to have to change the plan and go in a little bit different direction. I especially don't like to have to say, let's take 10 steps back and turn in an entirely different direction and go that way because it's clear God is not leading us this way because it feels like we've wasted time getting to this point. we got to waste time getting back to the other place and then we can start working again. I don't want to do that. And yet, there are times when it's necessary, isn't it? Because something changed or maybe we weren't listening And we have to make that change. We see this at work in Acts chapter 16. Paul's on one of his journeys and he's sharing the message of Jesus with people who haven't heard it before. And they're traveling around and we read this in verse 7. When they came to the border with Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus 
would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now think about that. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here. One of the greatest leaders, the greatest evangelists in the history of the church. And he's got a plan. He wants to go into Bithynia. Why does he want to go there? Because he's going to share the message of Jesus. He's got, there is no better reason to go somewhere than what Paul wanted to accomplish. And what did God say? Through the Spirit of Jesus? No. You got to change your plan, Paul. And if God could change Paul's plan, you better believe he can change my plan or your plan. So we've got to come at this with humility. We've got to plan with humility, ready to say, God, I need your leadership. God, I need your guidance along the way. God, at times, I might even need your correction to get me back on the right path. And as uncomfortable as all that can be for some of us, it is exactly what we need. Especially as we think about a new year. And resetting ourselves. And allowing God to be at work. Plan with humility. Because when we do, then we're doing the work that God wants us to do. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we submit ourselves, our plans, all that we do to you. We know we're not in control. We know that things don't always go the way that we want or expect. And we just ask that you would lead us, that you would show us the right path. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.